0: A teenager attends a homecoming party, but never returns home. Four days later, she's found dead in a ravine across state lines. However, police could never find any evidence pointing to a suspect, and she died in a very suspicious way, by way of a broken neck. Who killed Tammy House and how? About bad things. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another sure-to-be award-winning episode of Killin' Missin' Hidden. This is your dead sexy host, Brad, who somehow spent almost 10 years as a criminal defense attorney without losing my law license. I'm here to entertain you with another tale of murder, you sickos. Now before we begin, a reminder slash announcement. As you are aware, we do the show without stuffing any annoying ads in your face. But we got to get some funding from somewhere to keep the wheels turning. So, effective April 1st, we are finally launching that Patreon we promised. I think we first brought it up way back in January, maybe December. Uh right before I was struck down with that coronavirus thing. This podcast will continue as normal. The Patreon will just be extra stuff. Stories I want to cover but don't really fit in this KMH mold. Most will be sillier. We'll also have some video content, uh, including some afterthoughts and some of our bigger episodes, clips of unusual videos we find on YouTube or wherever, and maybe even some other special events with fellow podcasters, depending on how persuasive I can be. Our Patreon can be found at patreon.com slash Podcast. You can support us for as little as $4 a month. Again, that's less than a Big Mac. The first 50 of you to sign up will also get a very special custom-made gift. So again, go visit patreon.com slash kmhpodcast on April 1st. Please don't do it before then because they're going to charge you for the month of March and then turn around and and charge you for the month of April. I don't want you to do that. There's also our merch store, which I've done a horrible job at promoting. We have clothing for men, women, children. There's pins, there's stickers, coffee mugs, all sorts of stuff. It's at killandmissandhidden.threadless.com. We add new designs and new forms of merchandise periodically. So if you hate what we have right now, check back in a few months. We may have something you dig. Again, that's killandmissandhidden.threadless.com for the merchandise. And patreon.com slash kmhpodcast to support our work here and get access to some bonus stuff. And of course, keep sharing our show with everyone so, you know, we can reach all of mankind. Okay, on to today's tale. This one was suggested by listener Susan. So everyone, make sure to thank her on your way out today. We are covering the unsolved murder of Tammy Haas. So let's begin by setting the scene. We are traveling back to Yankton, South Dakota in 1992 for this one. Yankton's a bit of a small town located in southern South Dakota on the Missouri River just north of the Nebraska state line. Today it has a population of around 15,000, but back in the early 90s that was closer to 12,500. About 25% of the population is under the age of 18, or just under 3,000 kids at the time of our story. Uh, Interestingly, just random facts for you, Yankton serves as the headquarters for the National Field Archery Association. Famous newsman Tom Brokaw graduated from Yankton High. And NFL kicker Adam Vinatieri was born in Yankton. So, see, it's not just a hole in a wall. It's got some history. It's got some good things. So, this one Friday night in the middle of September of 1992, a homecoming party was the big event in Incan. Tammy Haas, 19 at the time, was attending the party with her boyfriend, Eric Stuckle, and she would never return home from the party. While police began looking for Tommy, Tammy almost immediately, she was found a few days later by a golfer looking for a lost ball across the Missouri River over in Nebraska. Now, Eric told the police they had left the party early, and Tammy walked to her aunt's house, but by herself. The ravine Tammy was found in was less than two miles from the side of the party, but again, it was across the Missouri River, which is not in some little creek. It's It would take some effort to cross it, unless you, you know, went over a bridge. The autopsy of Tammy's body indicated that she died from a broken neck. She had other injuries that suggested she was stuffed into a vehicle's trunk and carried to her final resting place. So her death was ultimately ruled a homicide. Now, police investigated this case for three years. Unfortunately, because of the age of the case, there's not much information online as far as what occurred during the investigation. However, we do know that the investigation concluded with the arrest and charge of Eric with manslaughter, not murder, a mere three days before the statute of limitations for the charge would expire. So this immediately raises some red flags to me. It suggests police were thin on actual evidence but felt a lot of pressure to make an arrest. Eric's case eventually went to trial in 1996 in Nebraska. That's where her body was found. The prosecution subpoenaed nearly 400 witnesses. The testimony indicated Eric and Tammy had had an argument at the party, which was the real reason they decided to leave early. Tammy's hairs were also found in Eric's trunk. Yet the bulk of the prosecution's case was apparently built around the theory that Eric was the last to see Tammy alive. And I found suggestions, nothing I would consider a reliable source but that the jury asked the trial court during their deliberations whether the killing had to occur in Nebraska for Eric to be found guilty for Tammy's death. And the trial court confirmed that yes, the state of Nebraska can't prosecute someone for a crime that occurred in South Dakota. Shortly after they got the answer to that question, the jury voted Eric not guilty. Now, police and prosecutors insist that this case has not been deemed closed, but virtually no progress has been made on the case. During the years following Tammy's death, it is interesting to note that her grave has been the victim of vandalism an unusual amount of times. As of 2005, a stone carved into an angelic shape had been stolen. A prayer sign placed next to the headstone and cemented in the ground had been ripped out and tossed to the side, and a large predator's tooth had been left on her grave. No one's ever been arrested for these acts, and we don't know. I couldn't find a follow-up story to this to see if this continues to go on or if it dried up after 2005. The family started a Facebook page called Justice for Tammy House, which has helped raise enough money for the family to hire a private investigator to assist with the search. However, it appears either the private detective found nothing, or the family has chosen not to release his findings to the public. Now, I want to try to offer some analysis here, but this one's a challenge because we just don't have a whole heck of a lot of information to work with. Because this case occurred before the internet was really a thing, it's hard to find many sources on this one. I also couldn't find, you know, an Unsolved Mysteries or Cold Case type of show that covered Tammy's murder. Doesn't mean there isn't one out there, I just never found it. Now, I did see reports that Dateline did a segment on this case, but it doesn't seem like that segment has ever been uploaded to YouTube or any other video site. Or at least not in a fashion that I could find it with my rudimentary search skills. If anyone can find what I couldn't find, I'd love it if you would email it to me at info at kmhpodcast.com because I'd love to see it because I feel like I, I learned so little about this case. Now, from the evidence we've got, there is some things that we can pull here, all right? Like I mentioned before, the fact that Eric was charged with manslaughter which is generally an unintentional killing. Um, You know, you do something stupid and somebody dies for it, is what you typically see for manslaughter. But you also have the fact that competes with it that says, Tammy was found with a broken neck. Then you have the fact that the body was transported in a vehicle to be dumped in a ditch or a ravine. All of this is kind of concerning, especially when coupled with Eric being arrested literally at the 11th hour as far as the law is concerned. If you find a body with a broken neck and you find that the body has been transported across state lines and intentionally dumped in some sort of ravine, I don't see how you can reach the conclusion that, well, this was some sort of accidental or reckless killing. This has to be a murder. I I don't see how it could be a manslaughter. To me, that choice was made merely because it's easier to prove manslaughter because the elements to prove the crime are fewer. And the police, like I said earlier, the police and prosecutors felt like they had to get somebody for this, and Eric was just the easiest target. Additionally, you've got the prosecution offering no motive for the murder. Yes, there's people who apparently testified that Eric and Tammy got into a spat before she died, but there's no evidence, at least that I could find that suggests Eric was furious, that he was drunk and acting crazy, that, you know, it was anything other than a typical levels quarrel. And if this is really what's going on here, where they've decided that look, Eric's the easiest target, and if we're going to convict anybody, we have the best chance of convicting him. To me, that's a gross abuse of prosecutorial discretion. You don't charge somebody just to charge somebody. It is not a prosecutor's duty to convict somebody, a prosecutor's ethical duty. And in criminal cases, to see that justice is done, not just get convictions. And I don't think that's what happened here. I think, again, everybody with the power to make this decision were more concerned about saving face than seeing that they got the right man. I also find it really strange that once Nebraska failed to convict Eric, No other prosecutions followed, especially when you couple that with the jury being concerned about where Tammy's death occurred. Based on that and based on the verdict, I think we can kind of extrapolate that part of their unwillingness to find Eric guilty is because they didn't think that Tammy was killed in Nebraska. Now, this raises double jeopardy issues, of course, but double jeopardy protects us from a governmental entity prosecuting a person twice for the same crime. That means different governmental entities can prosecute the same person for the same crime. It's not really unheard of for somebody to be prosecuted by the state and the federal government for basically the same crime. And this has always been considered constitutional because it's two separate governments doing the prosecuting. And this rule would apply to states as well. Just because Nebraska couldn't convict Eric, it doesn't mean South Dakota couldn't give it a go. Especially when the Nebraska jury was so concerned about where Eric was, excuse me, where Tammy was killed. So if they truly believe that Eric was the culprit here and a Nebraska jury said, no, this happened in South Dakota, or we can at least read in between the lines to get there, then you would think that South Dakota authorities would be interested in looking at this a little bit harder. Now, I managed to find some speculation online. Again, nothing I would consider reliable, nothing I would cite to as a source, but it was interesting there's kind of persistent rumors on Facebook, on Reddit, places like that, that there was a group of boys who secretly took the responsibility on for killing Tammy, but had basically sworn an oath of silence. Now, I, from my experience dealing with criminals, I think Ben Franklin was exactly right when he asserted that three can keep a secret only if two of them are dead. But... Perhaps this group of friends defied all odds if the rumors are true. But again, there's no evidence of this, it's just rumors. And I'd like to go back to Tammy having a broken neck. I know we see in movies, you know, you got someone like Van Dam come up and just snap somebody's neck in one swift movement. That's not how it works. It's not easy to break somebody's neck. Our neck, you know, the vertebrae are designed to be sturdy. It takes a lot of power to snap one. And that doesn't include the muscles we have around our bones that are pretty stout considering how they don't bulge out. I mean, they do have to hold our head and our skull and our brain all day, every day. And so you would have to not only have the power to rip through the bone, but also do it through all that muscle. And think about people who suffer broken necks and severe neck injuries. It's usually not from being, having their head turned to the side. It's usually when they get face planted down into the ground. That's what you see if you watch football. It happens a fair amount in horse riding. In fact, Christopher Reeves, the old-school Superman, that's how he became paralyzed. It, its I mean, to create the force to break somebody's neck is going to require something akin to a car accident. And even then, like with Christopher Reeve, it's not as likely to result in death as it is paralysis. So I don't think I, I'm not saying that the coroner got the cause of death wrong. I mean, my goodness, how could you misdiagnose a broken neck, you know? But to me, there should be some event that police could look to to say, here's what caused the injury. Here's what caused Tammy to die. Did somebody have a car accident recently that was at that party or that Tammy knew? Um, I mean, Is there a barn nearby and perhaps they went messing with the animals and she got kicked in the face or something like that? I mean, that sounds kind of silly, but it's going to take some incredible force to do this. And so, to me, the most curious part of this case isn't necessarily who did the crime, but how Tammy was killed. Because that's such an odd way to die when it's basically you're alone in the woods. I also, going back to the double jeopardy issue a little bit, I think whoever did this was smart from the context of by dumping Tammy's body across state lines, you instantly create a massive roadblock that police and investigators have to deal with. Because really and truly, a Nebraska police officer can't go into South Dakota and act like a police officer. You know, they're essentially not licensed to be a police officer, for lack of a better term. Same thing, South Carolina can't, um, South Dakota can't come down to Nebraska and, and start, you know, demanding people answering questions or serving search warrants or anything like that. They would have to cooperate. And on top of that, you have the question of whether or not this would really be a federal issue. I could see arguably where somebody could claim that, look, Tammy's put in a car in South Dakota and killed in Nebraska. Well, that's two felonies committed in two separate states, which would trigger FBI to come in and take over the case. That didn't happen here. And I really think reviewing everything, it's just due to a lack of evidence. I don't think anybody knows what really happened here. And it's frustrating. But again, that's a smart move to dump the body across state lines because instantly you have two police forces that are not really used to communicating with each other. They don't have the same, you know, software. They don't have the same methods of communication. They don't have necessarily the same procedures, and you're forcing them to try to work together, and that would hamper any sort of investigation, which is why we have things like the FBI and the DEA and, and other federal law enforcement agencies to help kind of fill in that gap. Okay, well, with that, we're going to wrap up this episode. Um, I know it's a short one, but there, again, there's just not much information available online. Um, Obviously, it's hard for me to travel from Alabama to South Dakota to investigate this in person. Um, it, it, It was a tough one to research. And I'll apologize to listener Susan. I hope my efforts didn't disappoint you. Again, if anybody has any additional information on this case, please send it to me. I'd be happy, I would be more than happy to do a follow-up episode on this case if I learned something new. Okay, all right, time for the palate cleanser, our weekly tradition here at KMH. Here we go. This this is one I found, so if you hate it, you can't you can't blame me, for this one. This is all Brad. My wife yelled at me last night claiming I hadn't been listening to a word she said. I told her that seemed like a really weird way to start a conversation. Husbands and wives alike, I think, will appreciate that one. All right. Thank you again for tuning in, for being my listeners. It makes me feel so loved. Please, as always, share our podcast with, you know, all the other soccer moms that you see or all the other guys in your basketball bracket pool or anyone that you you know, socialize with. Also, again, if you're willing to support us, we'll officially allow it starting April 1st. It's not a joke, it's just terrible timing on my behalf. It's either going to be at patreon.com slash kmhpodcast or pick up a fun hoodie since it's about to be summer at killinmissandhidden.threadlist.com. Regardless of whether or not you choose to support us financially, just know that you haven't seen the last of me. Be back waiting for you right here next week. Love y'all. Be good. Brad out. Thank you for listening to Killing, Missing, Hidden. Make sure to rate, subscribe, and share. Questions? Email us at info at